Our lectionary reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Listen closely for the word of God. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame, but there is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes, and said, go, wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. So good morning. Uh, Anna did a great job of introducing me, but I'm Phil Hodson. I'm your conference minister, and she gave a really quick rundown on what a conference minister does because what I find most places I go is people really have no idea, right? I show up in your church once in a while and people go, who's the guy with the funny necklace? <laughs> so a few things about a conference minister. If you come from other mainline traditions and your background, you can think of us like a bishop with a much smaller necklace no accessories and very little power, okay? Um, we drive a lot, about 40,000 miles a year across Texas and Louisiana and coming soon to a Biloxi, Mississippi near you where we're about to plant the newest church in the South Central Conference of the United Church of Christ. And we're very excited about that. And a big part of the role is resourcing churches, their pastors, and being pastor to those pastors, of which it is the honor of my life to be the pastor to 216 clergy across this conference. But you know what's the most fun for me? It's getting to come out and be with you. Seems like about once every 16 months I get to show up in one of our churches on a Sunday morning and I'm invited to preach and I get a few minutes before worship to just wander out in the lobby and hang out. What I've learned is if I do that in the whole get up, I'm kind of hard to miss and people will talk to me if only because I'm dressed in an unusual fashion and they figure they have to for some obligatory reason. But here's what I learned about you in those conversations. You are a growing church. You have much to be thankful for in this season. You have small group ministries that are ramping up. You have a youth group raising money by selling poinsettias. I also learned that you once had a pastor who was allergic to poinsettias. <laughs> you have a lot going on. And I can tell you this, as I go around to different churches across this conference, that's not the case everywhere. I'm proud of you. Be proud of yourselves. Be thankful for your leadership and your pastoral staff and your volunteers who are making everything happen as you lean into a season of new life. This is what I learned in conversations with some of you this morning. And you know, what's interesting to me is there is so much that you can learn about a person not only by the conversations that they have, 
but by the people they choose to have those conversations with. And Jesus always found himself having deep, meaningful encounters with people whom everyone else would have rather looked past. If he'd only spoken to people of high status, those that were to be expected, we would have never seen an aspect of God that is so essential to our understanding. And that's what we find in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man born blind, and his disciples asked him, Well, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents causing him to be born blind? And Jesus said, You are asking the wrong question. You are looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. For when night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this and then spit in the dust made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go, wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Whenever you think of something, whenever you think of something as being beautiful, right, something as being beautiful, we normally think that beautiful things need beautiful material, right? Okay, warning. I am an audience participation preacher. The less you engage with me, and you just hang back and be all congregational and polite and quiet, the longer the sermon goes. <laughs> we clear? All right, here we go. Now, whenever we think of something being beautiful, right, however we define that, uh, we think that beautiful things need beautiful material, right? right? Right. We are not surprised when David Beckham, anybody know who David Beckham is? All right, we're going to see if my pop culture references land today. Okay, some of you. Uh, Victoria Spice Girl Beckham. Yeah, all right, they got laughter and a few more. Google it, all right? But we're not surprised, for those of us who get this reference, that when David Beckham and Victoria Beckham have beautiful children, right? We don't see photographs of their kids and go, whoa, how did that happen? Because it makes sense. It makes sense. They have beautiful children because beautiful things create beautiful things, right? We know this somehow intrinsically. And what I love about Jesus is that he is the one who can take those things that we consider to be broken, to be useless, to be worthless, and it is from material that is entirely unexpected and unwanted that Jesus creates his most beautiful works in the world. This is the kind of moment that we find here in this story. I love how John opens the story by saying, walking down the street, as if Jesus is aimlessly meandering through life. I don't think Jesus ever arbitrarily went anywhere, do you? But walking down the street, Jesus saw a man born blind. And it's important that John notes that Jesus begins what is about to happen. Jesus saw the blind man. I have the suspicion that for everybody else, this man would have been invisible. 
The fact that Jesus saw him prompted what was about to take place. And when they saw, the group that were with him, Jesus looking at this blind man, it caused for his disciples a need to fill the empty space. You know anybody like that who is afraid of the awkward pause? Yeah? Yeah, you do. Right. And so immediately they rush in to fill the silence and they go, Rabbi, 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 who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that caused him to be born blind? And I think it's important that we note something when we hear this text. All right. It's important to pay attention to this. This was a blind man. He was not deaf. Can you imagine can you imagine hearing the commotion of this crowd coming in your direction and Jesus, the Messiah, is coming toward you? The one who is supposed to be the Savior of the world is heading right toward you. And even if he's not that, he does have some peculiar abilities, right? He touches lepers and they're clean. He speaks to the paralytic and they walk. And by the way, one of those unique particular abilities, the skills that Jesus has, is that he touches blind people and they receive their sight. So, you have to wonder if this blind man is not, at this particular moment in time, full of hope. Hope that as Jesus comes his way, that one of the disciples, just one, might see him and implore Jesus out of an act of compassion or empathy to heal this blind man, right? But instead of being moved by compassion, they begin a philosophical conversation with Jesus about why this man is blind. And he could hear all of it. He's just an object lesson, an object of conversation which they can use to expand their understanding of how God works in the world. Rabbi, teacher, this is the insight we want from you. This is the insight we want from you. Is this man blind? Was he born blind because of his sins or his parents' sins? What a horrible view of the world. What an awful view of God. See, in their world at that time, they believed that if you were born blind, if you were born with paralysis, if you were born with epilepsy, if you were born somehow with any kind of physical impairment, that was proof that you were under the judgment of God. That was the consequence of some sin somewhere. So they just want to ask Jesus, well, we, we know why he's blind, Jesus. He's blind because of sin. That is so obvious to us, Jesus. But what we want to know is who can we blame for it? Is this man to blame? Or are his parents to blame? In my life, there are a lot of things that I am absolutely to blame for. Amen? I have made so many dumb decisions. I mean, forget, let's forget for a second about the bad decisions, right? Just dumb decisions. How about you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I have made so many dumb decisions, one of which is a big white Ford pickup truck sitting out at the back of your parking lot with a vanity plate on it right now. My wife will tell you just how dumb that was. And I'll tell you what, just like that big white Ford pickup out in your parking lot, I have had to live with the consequences of my choices. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
<laughs> there it is. And sometimes I have made a bad decision, okay? I have made a bad decision and then I have become a better person as a result. Have you ever done that? Amen. Yes, yes. And we've changed, right? You make a bad decision, but you're not that person anymore, right? But sometimes, you ever notice that the consequence, well, the momentum of that bad decision, it's still there. You ever notice that? Sometimes you change, you make a difference in your life, and that bad decision seems to chase you down like an angry dog. Even after you've changed, it still chases you, and you say to yourself, hey, wait a minute. I don't deserve these consequences. I am a different human being. I've changed. But the consequences don't seem to know who you are. They only in that moment know who you were. Can you imagine living in a world where you are not living out the consequences of your decisions, but you are being punished for sins you haven't committed yet? That would be a very messed up world. That would be a very messed up God. If God were like that, they would be a malevolent, malicious dictator. Not worthy of our lives. Not worthy of our trust. Not worthy of our worship. And that is the view of God at this time. For these. That is their view of God. Is he blind because of his sins? And that's the best case scenario. Or is he blind because of his parents' sins, right? That's the way they think God works. Now, sociologically, there is an odd relationship between the sins of the father and their sons, right? And mothers and daughters, parents and children, even if you don't call them sins. Think about it. Alcoholics seem to give birth to alcoholics, give birth to alcoholics, give birth to alcoholics, and so forth. Abusers who abuse, who create abusers who abuse, who create abusers who abuse, right? Rage gives birth to rage, gives birth to rage. We know what that looks like, don't we? And some of us who are here this morning in person online, some of us know what it's like to have something passed on to you that is a darkness. Something that you never chose. Something that seemed as if it chose you. But this is not what the disciples are talking about. They're going, is this man being punished for his own sins or his parents' sins? Some of us come from healthy families, amen? There's a mom and a dad or two moms and two dads and there's brothers and there's sisters and they actually like each other, right? They love their children. They feed them every day. They buy them clothes and send them to school and help them with their homework. And if you were born into one of those families, you have a huge advantage in the world today. Right? We may all have the same finish line and we may all be in the same race, but we didn't all have the same starting block. If you were born into a family of privilege or wealth or a structured foundation, give thanks for that this week, right? Give thanks for that, the fact that you didn't start where everybody else did. But there are some who couldn't even see that starting block in the race. 
Some of us came into the world, had a boulder strapped to our backs and out of the sky. Somebody shouted, run! And some of us may feel like we are still living out the consequences of our parents' sins. Some of us here in this room and worshiping online may carry that weight in our lives right now still today. But can you imagine being a follower of Jesus with Jesus present, like right there standing next to you, and when you see somebody who desperately needs the touch of God in their life, all you can think to do is have a philosophical conversation about who is to blame. Here's the thing. If you are going to allow God to create a beautiful life out of your life, you need to realize something. Blame gets you nowhere. Blame gets you nowhere. Not blaming other people, not blaming God, and not living in the shame or the condemnation of blaming yourself. And by the way, it's important to note that they do use the word sin in this passage. I think it's important we pay attention to that. Um, if you open up your Bible, the word sin appears quite a bit. And we don't talk about that much in the United Church of Christ, do we? No. Not in our tradition. We don't talk about it very much because it's uncomfortable. It's, a, it's an uncomfortable word. We don't use that really anywhere else in our lives except we encounter it in our scriptures. And here's the thing about that word, though. It will apply to you. And it will apply to me. To all of us. It's an uncomfortable word, and one of the reasons we don't commonly see it, use it, outside of the Scriptures is that most of the time, instead of trying to understand how we might change our trajectory, we get busy trying to figure out what is wrong with us and who is to blame, and we never bother to connect it to our own divine image. But the reason that the Scriptures actually talk about sin is that we are created to be connected to the source of the one who is good and beautiful and true. And when we are disconnected from them, we become what we were never created to be. See, for me, I actually want to try to be a good human being. It is my goal to be the kind of person who does good in the world and actually honors God with my life. I actually want to be that, but I also know that there are non-cooperating forces at work inside of me. And I think they're me, but they don't cooperate with me. Because there's something just slightly off inside of me, inside of all of us. And the trouble is we keep trying to figure out where to, the blame is for that. And what I want you to know is that whenever the Bible talks about sin, it is not there to assign blame, ever. It's there to offer healing. It's there to offer healing. See, sin is not a condemnation. Sin is a diagnosis. Rabbi who sinned, this man or his parents causing him to be born blind. And Jesus says, you ask the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. And I love this about Jesus. They gave him two options and Jesus replies, there are always more than two options except when you're voting for president. Jesus shows them another way. Look instead at what God can do. They are focusing on who is to blame, but Jesus is moving them forward saying blame gets you nowhere. What I want you to realize is that what you see as the problem is actually the potential 
It's the potential. See, they have been taught that this man's blindness was proof that he had been abandoned by God, that he was rejected by God, that God would never use him. And Jesus says, you need a new perspective on this. You need to see the beautiful thing that God wants to do because you think that this is proof that God would never be with him. But this is actually the proof of where God is going to meet this man. What Jesus is saying to them is, yes, God is telling the story. God is writing a story into human history right now, this very second. But the message is in the mess. An important thought as we head into the Christmas season, isn't it? So often we think that God wants to write a story with our lives, but that God can't write that story until God fixes our lives. But God doesn't ever work around the mess of you. God works right through the mess of you. There are some people who will take that and say, see, see, God made that man blind. Some of those people are on cable news right now. But that is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is telling us is that God is capable of taking our most tragic condition, our most broken circumstance, and creating something extraordinary and beautiful in the midst of it, right? We want God to show up in our successes, right, in our abilities, our talents, our genius, in the extraordinary nature of who we are. We don't want God to show up in our brokenness, but in Jesus. God is saying to us, please understand. Please understand, I don't need you to have it all together for me to bring it all together. We want God to do good in our lives, but we think that God has to make us good before God does good. But God brings them both together. God does the good while making us good. And then Jesus says we need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. And that is an odd thing to say, isn't it? I am the light of the world. We've heard that phrase countless times. Whether we go to church regularly, read our Bible regularly or not, we know that phrase. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Why does he say that phrase? That's a weird thing to say. See, Jesus is preparing them with that phrase. He's preparing them because he is not going to be in the world in this same way and when he is not in the world in this same way but differently it is they, it is we who become the light of the world like that candle we carry in in worship every Sunday. That's what we're talking about when we light that and put that here because it's us. It's us who become the light of the world. He says this, and then he spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed it on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent, and the man went and washed and saw. All right, pop quiz. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, you felt just completely inadequate? You're in church, don't lie. <laughs> yeah, every hand should be raised right now, right? Like that situation, you're there and you're feeling like, I am so not up to this task. There's this responsibility, there's, there's this thing that others expect you to do, right? Maybe it's at work, maybe it's in how you teach your kids. Uh, for me, it's often in being a conference minister, it's in leading a conference, right? That's an awesome responsibility in my life, it's humbling. 
to walk beside so many churches and talented clergy and all kinds of circumstances and attempt to be helpful, right? And it's to come into a different pulpit every Sunday where I don't really know anybody at all and to know that though all of you who are here right now staring at me, you came here today for one reason. You came here to hear something that matters. You came here to hear something that matters, right? And as a pastor, I think for every pastor, uh, so many times it just feels like we're standing up here and spitting in the dirt, right? When I get up on a Sunday morning, I am a focused bundle of nerves. And you know what I'm most nervous about every time that I stand up as somebody whose job it is who gets paid to share the gospel? I'm nervous that I will be absolutely humiliated. That I will find myself up here in front of you or a crowd like you in front of anybody only for them to discover just how, how absolutely inadequate I am. There are so many times in my life when I feel like I'm just spitting in the dirt. And in those moments, the best hope that I have is that Jesus can take me in his hands and turn me into mud and use that mud to do something that I could never accomplish alone. When I researched this passage for you, I came across the writings of other theologians who say, this is not human spit. Now, this is actually written down in theological books somewhere, right? Think about that for a second. Somebody with a degree says this is not human spit. This is divine spittle. <laughs> it's written down in a book. And apparently that is different than human spit, right? Because it is, I don't know, the spit of God, right? Maybe you have to say it just like that, I think, too. But I don't think so, right? I don't think that God ever spat. I don't think that God was up there in eternity creating the heavens and the earth at the beginning of it all going, nailed it. And if I'm honest, I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I am a little grossed out when somebody else spits in my presence, right? And I don't know if you know this little fact, but in the time of Jesus, if you spat in front of another person, it was considered an act of the utmost disrespect to spit in front of others. You could not make a more physical statement of disgrace than to spit in front of another person. And Jesus chose to spit in front of a crowd, right? All these people, as he approaches this blind man, he spits right there in front of all of them. And I have done some research on your behalf. You had no idea what you were walking into this morning. But to create mud out of spit, you need a lot of spit, okay? And not like dainty little spit, you know, no. That's not going to do it. You need to like clear your throat and let it happen and just really serious, hardcore spit. To make mud, you have to spit a lot. Here's another interesting thing about spit. I don't know if you know this, but you have spit in your mouth right now. Be aware of it. Yeah, just sit with that for a second. I have spit in my mouth right now, and I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay with that. 
I can swallow my own spit and that's fine, I'm all right, but I try not to dwell on it too much, right? You swallow your own spit all the time. It's a totally natural, biological human thing. You have to do it, right? It is what we're supposed to do. But the odd thing is that, you know something, the moment you actually spit, you no longer associate with it. That's not mine, right? And if I asked you right now to swallow your spit, you're good, right? You're all staring at me. If I ask you to swallow your spit, you're good, right? Right, right. But if I ask you right now to spit into a glass, and to spit into that glass until you have enough spit to have a good solid drink, I'm pretty sure you're not going to drink that, are you? Right? Okay, all right. So let's set that aside for a second. All right, I want you to hang on to the glass of spit, though. I want you to hang on to the glass of spit, but I'm not going to ask you to drink it. I'm going to ask you just to take two fingers on your hand, and I want you to stick them down in that glass of spit, and I want you to rub them around. Then I want you to take them out and rub them on your eyes. Not my eyes, your eyes, right? And it's not my spit. It's your spit. You'd be okay with that, right? Ah, yeah. Yeah. See... What I am convinced God is trying to say to us, what God is trying to say to us as God creates something beautiful out of our lives, is that we need to stop waiting for better material. We need to recognize that we ourselves are just spit and dirt, but in the hands of God, we can become this extraordinary mud that Jesus will use to set others free giving them sight to see the beautiful that exists all around them. But something else to wonder is, how do you get to the pool of Siloam when you are blind and when you have spit and dirt caked like mud on your eyes? I think sometimes we are trapped in between our own blindness and the pool of Siloam, where we receive our sight because we think that God has to make us better material before actually bringing something new about in us. But this man, he slowly finds his way to the pool of Siloam. And John wants us to understand something, in case you may not get this because you may not be one of the people of Israel, you may be a Gentile, right? And you may not know that the word Siloam means sent. In Hebrew, he wants you to know that for a reason. Because what Jesus is saying to this man is go to the place called sent. There are some things that you cannot see when you are standing still. There are some things you can only see when you are in motion. Have you ever sat by the side of the road and just watched cars drive by, right? You sit by the side of the road and they just zip by, right? 70 miles an hour and the people inside of them are a blur, right? But if you get in your own car and you match the speed of that car that is flying past you, you can turn and you can make eye contact with the person in the car right next to you. I advise if you are like me and have one eye, you don't do that very often, right? But you can. See, I think so many of us can't see the beauty of God because we are standing still. We are waiting for God to do something when God is actually saying to all of us, I want you to go to that place called sent. I want you to move to that place and to trust me with your life. And when we move in response, when we trust in God and follow in this way, that is when we get to see the beauty of God and the beauty all around us just waiting for us to see it. 
but we keep looking for the beautiful in all the wrong places. We think that the beauty of God is in cathedrals and castles when really it's just in the spit and the dirt, right? And that's a little disturbing to us. You know what I love about how Jesus works, how he creates beauty in the world? He creates unexpected beauty inside of us. Nobody sees it coming. Everybody expects you to come in your robe and your stole and your crown and your glory, but nobody, nobody ever expects you to show up just spit and dirt. You don't have to be more than you are. All you have to do is let God be who she is in you. Just show up, be spit and dirt, let God craft you, make their mud, put it on your blindness and give you the eyes to see the beauty that is all around you as you head through this week of Thanksgiving and into the season of Advent and look for that star in the sky that leads us once more to new birth. May you carry that with you. May it be so for you and may you see this season in a whole new way. Amen. Amen. And amen.